Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I will be your host. I want to first of all thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, we've got a very interesting show. We're going to be talking about the scientific medium the scientific medium. And I'm going to get into explain what that is in just a few minutes. Um, but this is kind of the development of a progress. You might call it a series or whatever it might be on just uh, some interesting concepts that help you to maybe get a picture and understanding of the world around you so that you can think a little bit better about what's going on. Uh, we started this uh, two episodes ago with a podcast on coping with information glut. Uh, I want to encourage you to go back to listen to that. You can find that on our website. That is at mindforlife.org. You can click on podcasts and go to uh, show number 62. <clears throat> or you can just go to mindforlife.org slash 062 and listen to it there. You can also find that on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Google Play. Uh, we're all there. So coping with information glut was really what kind of started it and just kind of like set the table, if you will, set the stage for understanding the mediated environment that we're living in. What's happening to us when we can't process or understand or make sense of all of the information around us and what are the results um, the effects that that has not only on us psychology, but uh, on our, us psychologically but what that might have on the world around us, throw in social media and all of that stuff. And so uh, it's an interesting topic, uh, gives you a little bit better perspective on what's going on. Uh, then our last episode was on the focusing illusion. And the focusing illusion, again, was just our tendency to misjudge the scale of impact that certain circumstances have in our lives. We kind of put a lot of emphasis when we focus on something, uh, we put when we put our focus on something, we start to misjudge what the scale of impact of that thing that we're focusing on or that our attention is on at the time, be it a pay raise, a new job, the death of a loved one, whatever it may be, and what that's going to eventually do to us and whether that's a, a big impact or we minimize that. Uh, so that's an interesting concept, and I promised to talk in this episode about the problem of quantification. And as I was just getting ready and preparing the notes for that, um, I figured I needed to talk about something before that will lead us into the problem of quantification, and that is the idea of the scientific medium. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I do want to make known to you before we get started just a few resources. Um, as I mentioned before, one of the top landing pages on our website is an article that I wrote about um, a nice person's guide to being assertive. Uh, apparently a lot of people are challenged with being assertive, with saying what they feel, with being able to express their emotions, their feelings with confidence and skill. And so we developed a resource on um, how to start a difficult conversation. If you're going to be assertive, right, assertiveness is being the, the ability um, and the skill to express your thoughts, feelings, and emotions with confidence and skill. A lot of people have a difficulty being able to start that and to do it in a way that is going to be 
not get into a fight, not lead to argument, not lead to heated discussions or whatever, but in a way that's going to be productive. And so what we've created is this um, kind of a guide for you, uh, a guide for having a difficult conversation. It's a five-step guide, kind of gives you a um, little bit of an education in how to kind of frame a difficult conversation. What are the steps that you need to take to be able to prepare for it? It's a downloadable resource that you can download and use as uh, write it up, prepare in advance. And again, you know, I, I understand that not everybody always has the time to go and put together on their notes what they want to talk about. But remember, sometimes in conflicts, we lose, uh, you got to be careful in conflict situation when people are arguing about certain things that you don't lose sight of your agenda, of your communication agenda. In, a, in other words, what are you wanting to accomplish through that conflict? You don't want to lose sight of that. And sometimes people argue and sometimes people will do these tricks and everything like that to kind of direct themselves and direct the conversation away from what you're really trying to address. So whatever the topic you're trying to address, uh, back and forth arguments can kind of tend to get away from that. Maybe you've been in those situations where you start uh, a conversation about something that you want to address and it just devolves into this circle. They call it an unwanted repetitive pattern uh, of back and forth um, dysfunctional communication that just is established by habitual traits that we all have. And you realize when you get to the end of it, you've gotten in a fight with somebody and you've argued about something, but you never really talked about the thing that you needed to talk about in the first place. And that's what started it. So the guide gives you an opportunity to write some of those things down to prepare your communicative agenda so that when you enter in that conversation, it can be productive and you can negotiate your relationships better. So uh, that's a downloadable resource for you. You can find that at the webpage uh, for this podcast as well. This will be um, mindforlife.org forward slash zero six four. Okay, so let's get into the topic for today, which is the science medium. The science medium. And that's going to sound a little bit, you know, probably vague when I talk about that. What am I, what do I, what am I saying when I talk about the science medium? Um, over, you know, the past several hundred years, the Western culture has developed, you know, as a result of the Enlightenment into this age of reason, into this age of of science, um, the scientific revolution and a lot of the inventions and the new um, knowledge that was developed and the things that we learned about the world around us, uh, you know, the invention of the microscope and the ability and the telescope, you know, to be able to see far beyond at, at vast, vast um, magnitudes and then also microscopically to be able to see and understand what's going on and you know there's been incredible progress we've had incredible technological progress um, incredible benefits to human life right uh, the technologies that we have today and the things that we have at our fingertips you know you would have been you wouldn't be living as nice as we live now 
um, when you were a pharaoh or a king or something like that in a past um, historical moment. But we have these incredible technologies that have benefited society. Well, as uh, Neil Postman once said, every technology is a Faustian bargain, right? Every technology giveth and every technology taketh away. So when we talk about the progress of science, the development of the scientific method, right? The scientific method is a very particular method of investigation that operates according to certain rules. The idea of scientific theory, right? Scientific theories and scientific, scientific method operates according to certain rules. When you are going to think scientifically, you have to think according to certain patterns and certain rules, and you've got to, f to mold your mind and to mold your thoughts into these, you know, these certain patterns of thought and these, these rules that uh, science is based upon, one being falsifiability, right? You've got a scientific theory is not a scientific theory unless it can be proved to be false, right? So there's certain things that go along with the scientific method, the advancement of scientific knowledge that I talked about, the growth of technology in general, right? The complete advancement of technology as well as the specific technologies that we have seen develop that have come as a result of the growth of technology, again, have been incredibly beneficial to humanity. And we're sitting in this incredible moment, right, where we can turn our lights on and off with a phone, right, with the touch of a button, where we can operate our thermostats from across the country, where we can start our cars from wherever we are, you know, um, we can turn our lights on, turn our lights off, we have access to be able to talk to anybody face to face through video communication across the world, right, we can message and communicate uh, over the other side of the globe. So, you know, and add to that things like dishwashers and appliances. And, you know, we've got heating and cooling in our homes, uh, you know, purified water, the medical breakthroughs and the medicines that have been developed and, you know, the way that we've understood our bodies and to be able, you know, be able to apply uh, things that help our bodies to heal better and heal faster. It's just incredible. It's incredible. Um, and we've seen these incredible advancements, which not too long ago would have been considered magic. Right. Not too long ago, um, even go back to the 50s, even right. If you would have pulled out a smartphone in the 50s and started your car and turned the lights on and off uh, in your house from a distance, you know, that would have been considered magic. And, you know, go back farther in history and some of those things would have been considered witchcraft. And, you know, you might have gotten, um, you know, in some cultures burned at the stake for those types of things. You would have been considered a heretic or you would have been considered, you know, channeling a spirit or something of that nature. Um, to the medieval, ask yourself this question. What would a video conference call look like for a person living in medieval Europe? Right. To be able to see someone through 
a phone or a screen and to be able to talk to somebody, it would have been just like mind blowing. What what would have what would a war Apache helicopter looked like to someone in ancient Egypt or ancient Rome or ancient Greece, you know, or even in industrial America? Um, you know, to see a, a, a jet airplane or a warcraft or something like that, you know, that would have been thought of as this is some monster that's coming to destroy us. Um, so we have these incredible, incredible technologies and we've had this progress of science. Um, in his book, Harold Innes wrote a book called The Bias of Communication. And what he proposed in that book is that every communication technology, or we want to call that a medium, you know, something that comes between. And so um, in the field of media ecology, we consider and study uh, media as an environment, right? There's that ecological metaphor. We look at a media uh, or a medium as an environment. And you can look at, say, we look at all media as an environment, that we live in a mediated environment. And a medium and a technology are kind of, you know, sometimes used inter interchangeably. We use those terminologies interchangeably. Um, but what Innes said was that every medium holds inherent biases, which impact the civilizations and the cultures that employed them. So, for example, uh, one of the examples that he would use is that, you know, there some some communication media are time uh, sensitive or time biased. Um, you know, if you were going to write laws, for example, on stone, if you wrote laws on stone tablets, they lasted longer and they were not easily moved, right? You just can't haul stone tablets. Um, so communication was slow and the bias of that stone tablet medium um, for example, in ancient Egypt, right? They would chisel all of their stuff in certain cases on stone hieroglyphics, and they would put all of those things on there. Um, and so, you know, that has a bias, the bias of that medium, you know, those, those stones are not easily moved and communication in those sense is slow. People have to come to the stones to see and to be able to hear what's going on. Only certain people can read in a preliterate society, right? In a preliterate society, only the priests or only the intellectuals are the ones who are able to read and to use the word, right? To read the words of God, so to speak, and to be able to write the words of God. So there's a power. Uh, it's called a monopoly of knowledge that goes along with that. Well, as a communication, and, you know, and so those cultures and those civilizations take on those traits. Um, you move to a different culture civilization where we have paper and it doesn't last as long, but it is easily used and is easily transferred and it's easily moved around. And so the civilizations that adopt that communication medium, uh, that technology that use that, the biases of the paper um, have effects on those civilizations and they are able to limit and to allow certain modes of communication and modes of business, quote unquote, getting done that other cultures 
are not able to do that use stone, for example, stone tablets. Look at the example of, of the telegraph, right? It's an electronic medium to a certain extent. You're tapping out and now information can be transferred uh, across space in in a short amount of time, you know? And so all of a sudden now, um, people can find out, for example, in New York, what's taking place in California. And now all of a sudden, the entire information economy, if you will, changes because people living in New York no longer are just have to be interested with what's going on in New York, but now they're interested in what's going on in Los Angeles. And that becomes important because that information can be transferred, you know, prior to the telegraph. To get a message from uh, Los Angeles to New York, you either had to get it on a train or you had to get it on the, the Pony Express and drive it across the country. And it could take weeks, in some cases, days and weeks to be able to get that information. Now that it's instantaneous, it can be put onto the newspapers in New York and Los Angeles news is important. And so, you know, everyone, every type of communication technology or every type of medium has a bias or multiple biases that regulate what it limits, what can it be, what can it do and what it can't do, and then how it impacts the users, the people that are living in the environment of that medium. So, Innis asked these questions. Number one, how do specific communication technologies operate? It's important to study that. How does, for example, stone, uh, words chiseled on stone, how does that technology operate? How does the pen operate? Uh, pen and paper. How does a telephone operate? How does a telegraph operate? How does a Facebook message stream operate or, or a Twitter news stream? How we need to understand, we need to study how those technologies operate. Second question that he asked is what assumptions do communication technologies take from and contribute to society? So when you use a pen and paper, there's certain assumptions that the pen and paper takes from society. Number one would be that you could write something on it, that people have the skill. You don't have a pen and paper unless somebody has the skill to be able to write. You know, you have to have some type of an alphabet, some type of a language that you can write. So that's an assumption. And then what is an assumption that it pushes onto society? that technology what does what assumption does a pen and paper push back onto society now that's important to think about with the digital technology platforms that we have now there's certain assumptions that those digital platforms take from society and then there's certain assumptions that they put back onto society um you might have heard this comment or this cliche statement said before to the person with a hammer Everything looks like a nail. So in past times, um, there were professional photographers and you had to buy specialized equipment. 
uh, to be able to get a, a, a photograph. And at the same time, if you didn't have the specialized equipment and all of the things that you needed to do to be able to develop the film, you know, there was a time frame of taking a picture and then finding out what you actually caught on camera. And so there were specialized people that were able to do that and to kind of like, you know, they had the skill to be able to take a picture and then, you know, make sure that they were taking a good picture so that when they went back, you know, the photos that they got were good. Well, now everybody's got a camera. And now it doesn't take any special skill to take a great picture because the camera does it itself. And now you don't have to wait two weeks to uh, get the film developed. You can see it instantaneously on your phone. And so now anybody can be a photographer. There's no great skill now in being a photographer. You just, and, you know, having a, a better camera, you, you know, it's just now a matter of increments because the, what's the difference between your phone now? And, you know, of course, there is a difference to a certain extent, but you can get great pictures off the phone and everybody can be a photographer now. So, and now everybody walking around with a camera, well, everything's a picture, right? Everything's a picture. And, and the cell phone has also contributed to like this uh, personal, individualized celebrity culture. You know, in the past, you had to be a celebrity to get on a magazine or get into a a quote a, a publish uh, a published event. Well, now everybody can publish themselves. Everybody's their own celebrity and everybody's their own paparazzi. Uh, everybody can walk around and take pictures of themselves and then publish those pictures onto their own Instagram and build up their own following and build up their own you know group of people or whatever. And so you know that's all come about as the technology of the digital camera has developed. Because prior to that, it was a specialized group of people. So what are the assumptions that a communication technology can take from? And what are the assumptions that it can contribute to? And here, third and most important, what forms of power do communication technologies encourage? Who holds the power? I talked about the monopoly of knowledge. Um, when only certain people possess the knowledge of literacy, in other words, that they can read, that they can write, they have a power over everyone else. Uh, in medieval times, it was the priests, right? They possess the power of the word. And so when people needed to hear what God was saying, they had to go to the priest who could read the words of God. Of course, there's great power with that. Well, what changed? The Gutenberg Press. The Gutenberg Press allowed the word of God to be, you know, mass distributed. It didn't have to, it wasn't just little copies now that were only in certain uh, churches or in certain um, universities, but now you could have the Bible on your kitchen table. And it also, the, the Gutenberg Press encouraged the development of literacy, where now people can read and write. And what happened? I don't have to anymore go to the priest to hear the words of God. The words of God are right in front of me in the Bible that I bought that was printed. And so the printing press revolutionized and changed and transformed Europe. And that's what we talk about when you talk about an economy ecology, right? Because a change to an environment uh, is not just a, a small additive change. It is transformative. When you take a species from a different country, a microorganism from a different country, and you bring it into 
another culture that does not uh, has not has not had that or is not used to that, it transforms the environment. Take a look at the COVID-19 virus, right? That was an, a, something that was brought into our environment that had never been there before and transformed our entire world. Well, the same thing happens when we think about media and technologies in the same way, that when you bring a new technology into a culture, it doesn't simply add it. It's transformative. In other words, when you bring the press into Europe, you don't just get Europe plus the printing press. You get an entirely new Europe. And so what forms of power do these communication technologies encourage? Uh, so, uh, of course, we've talked about Marshall McLuhan on this channel, and Innes was a big influence on him. Influ uh, McLuhan's famous aphorism is, the medium is the message. And so we've talked a little bit about that in the past. Basically, what's important from McLuhan's perspective when it comes to the messages that you get from media is not what's embedded in the content, right? But really, what, it, what is the channel through which it's coming? And so there's a difference, and what's important is, are you getting it through video? Are you getting it through digital technologies? Are you getting it through television? Are you getting it through radio? Are you getting it through YouTube? Uh, the medium has a lot to say, and that's where he said the medium is the message. In other words, what medium is being used is really the message that's being communicated there. So the medium itself has inherent biases. Um, it has assumptions about itself. It has assumptions about its relation to the user, the medium. It has structures. The medium has systems. The medium has forms of power that it encourages. The medium has forms of power that it limits. The medium has forms of power that it allows for. And what's important in understanding a medium is understanding these biases, and that's where the real message comes. So I want to apply that to the communication medium of science. And when I talk about science, I'm not talking about like, you know, seventh grade science or whatever. I'm talking about the scientific method. I'm talking about scientific thinking. I'm talking about the scientific brain, the scientific mind. We are living in an environment of science um, that has developed as a result of, uh, as I mentioned before, the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, uh, the Scientific Revolution. All of that has put ourselves into a position uh, in the West, in this culture particularly, where we're living in a scientific environment. And I want you to think of science in that way. Um, science, scientific thinking, um, the scientific method, and look at that as a lens through which people look to see the world. A scientific lens that is a part of our culture, a part of our collaborative, if you will, collective way of thinking, a scientific lens on how we think about and interpret the world. Um, it's one way that people... Inter make make meaning, make sense of the world, but it's not the only way. We look at the world scientifically. Uh, we can look at the world religiously. We can look at the world psychologically. There's multiple what you might call hermeneutics of thought, 
right? These are hermeneutic is in an interpretation or an interpretive lens and how we think, right? You can look at the world economically. You can look at the world, um, you know, from all of these different perspectives, science being one of them, look at the world scientifically, the scientific hermeneutic. So look at that and think of that as a communication medium. And then let's put that into um, and uh, apply to that McLuhan's and Innes's parameters. So the medium of science itself is a message. Just the fact that we are living in a environment that employs a scientific medium, a scientific interpretation, a scientific look at the world. That's something important. We don't just look at the world religiously or we don't just look at the world economically, but everything has been subjected to this scientific perspective. And that's a message and a real message in and of itself. We're not looking at necessarily the content. I'm not even looking at what's con uh, contained in a scientific paper or a scientific article or a scientific. But what I would say is that in our culture, specifically American culture, almost everything is brought through that scientific lens. And videos depend, even if they're about uh, lifting weights, they are brought through. What's the scientific way to, what's the best way? What does science say about lifting weights? Or, um, you know, whatever it may be, things are applied through this scientific perspective. Uh, that's important. That's an important thing to understand. That we're living in a world, we're living in a culture, we're living in a society that uses that scientific hermeneutic that employs that scientific medium where that scientific medium just is starting to be has been uh, for even a long time the default way that we look at the world uh, climate science is looked through science right uh, the covid the covid situation was looked through science now whether or not science was actually employed in that whole situation and whether or not the scientific was utilized uh, but people wield science as as a tool and put it up as an authority, right? There's power in science. When we say things like follow the science, that means follow the right way, follow the truth, right? In a sense, science has been equated with truth. And so just the fact that we live in the science medium has a message. We must consider that. And, you know, if you want to play the authority game, you can just say, well, science says, and everybody knows, well, that means this is what's true or this is what's real. The second, science as a communication medium operates in a unique way as opposed to maybe a religious or a philosophical or a psychological. Um, and it makes certain assumptions about society and the world. The scientific medium encouraged certain forms of power while discouraging others, right? In a scientific world, religion has no authority because it's not science. And we all know that in a scientific world, science is what's true. Science is the authority. Go back to a different culture, go back to a different historical period, even in the West or in Europe, or even go to some cultures today where the religious perspective holds authority and science is pushed off. I just was reading um, Anna Karenina, and in that, they have discussions about medicine 
right? And one of the characters is doubting the medicine. And some of the medicines that they're using are very non-scientific because science had not developed to the point, you know, during the historical period that the book was written into the, uh, the medical the medical science is not advanced and they're putting on poultices and all of these things to, you know, try and figure out if you go take baths, that's what's going to heal you and everything like that. So they're not able to, number one, diagnose diseases accurately. And then the treatments are very subjective and based on even religion, right? So uh, science was not the authority back then. And even back in some of the characters in that book, they're talking about, yeah, we don't necessarily believe in medicine. (laughs) Well, who doesn't believe in medicine in a scientific culture? We all believe in medicine because we know that in our culture, medicine has been developed by science and science is the authority. So science makes assumptions about society. Science makes assumptions about the world and science encourages certain forms of power while discouraging others. As we just talked about, science discourages the power of religion. We're not living in a society where religion holds authority like the way science does. Science encourages and makes assumptions about numbers and data and measurement. And so when you live in a scientific world, those things are important. Can it be measured? Can it be quantified? Can we count it? That's, um, you know, empirical science is, can we number it and understand it? Can we measure the worlds? Right. And so, um, the important thing that I want to get through in this podcast is understanding how we got to where we are. Um, and understanding what's going on in our culture, that we're living in this scientific environment. The fact that we're living in a scientific environment or an environment that prioritizes science or scientific thinking or the scientific method, that's an important fact to consider. Understand what kind of world we're living in. You're living in a scientific world. You're living in a world of technology. You're living in a world that prioritizes and puts authority on science and technology and measurement. And why? Well, because we found incredible success as a result of that. Right? What has science led us to? Putting man on the moon, the exploration of space, right? The the new uh, web telescope. If you've seen some of the photos from that web telescope that are showing some inc- the incredible vast depth and size of the universe, and you're looking at these galaxies which are hundreds of millions of light years across, and you're seeing them in incredible detail at this point with some of the pictures that technology has enabled us to do that, right? We have uh, rockets that now, you know, uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX, they can launch a rocket and then land it, you know, and so... That's all because of technology. That's all because of science. That's all because uh, people have studied things. Um, Another reason for that is because, as Alfred Korzybski said, human beings are time binders. And what does that mean? 
that means human beings have the ability to kind of like bind time through language and writing. We can write things down and pass knowledge and information onto the next generation. Animals can't do that. Plants can't do that. The only um, being, if you will, capable of doing that is a human being. We've been gifted with language. We've been gifted with that ability to transfer knowledge down through generations. And ultimately, as a result of that, as knowledge gets transferred down, we are building on the shoulders of those who came before us. We're standing on their shoulders and people are standing on our shoulders when we develop things and when we invent things and when we discover things. Uh, people are standing on our shoulders. We're passing that knowledge down and it's just going to continue to grow and advance. And, you know, maybe you've seen some of the exponential charts of the increase of technology and the exponential increase of knowledge. You know, we always get to these points where we think, ah, oh, knowledge is over. There's no new inventions. I think they said that back before the personal computer was invented. There's no new inventions. And then they developed the personal computer and now we've got smartphones and now we've got all of these things as a result of the personal computer and the um, getting smaller and smaller chips and boards to be able to power these things and to be able to process and all of that stuff. And so that's all a result of time binding Right? We have all of these things because people went before us and did work and did research and produced all of that stuff so that we are where we are today. Um, and then we get into this problem of quantification. And really that is, we'll talk about this in the next podcast, is just, you know, what is the problem with quantification? Because the scientific medium you know, allows for certain things, but it also limits certain things. So again, science giveth and science taketh away. We all know what science is given. The question is, what has science taken away? And please be assured, I'm not here trying to advocate for the abolition of science or to say that, you know, science has been a detriment. No, not at all. What I am here to say is, what are the things that science has prevented us from doing? What are the things that, what are the negative influences that science is having upon our culture or upon our society or upon human psychology or upon human beings' quality of life in general? Because there's been a whole lot of positive, right? For sure. Our quality of life has never been better. But there's also some negative effects of that, and that's something that we want to explore because we want to just be aware of those things so that we can think better, ultimately live a better life. So I hope you've understood um, this podcast a little bit more and that um, you can grasp what I'm talking about when I talk about the scientific medium and then how we should be recognizing the culture that we live in. Um, you can go back and listen again. I want to encourage you to go back and listen also to... Um, the Coping with Information Glut podcast, and then also the Focusing Illusion. I think all of these things are kind of related to one another in a certain way, and they all are just calling our attention or calling our awareness to what's actually going on in the culture that we just don't see. So <clears throat> I've used the metaphor in this podcast before of a fish in water, right? The fish lives, think of a fish, a goldfish in a fish bowl. 
the goldfish just lives in the environment of the fishbowl, lives in the water, and is completely unaware of the water or the river or the ocean or whatever. And fish live in that environment. When the environment changes, it has an effect on the fish. If you started to add salt to the water and it's a freshwater fish bowl, or if you started to add different chemicals to that water, if you started to poison that water, that would ultimately start to have an effect on the fish. It would affect its well-being. It would affect its life. It would affect its quality of life. And the fish would be unaware of that because it's really unaware of the environment that it's living in. Well, we don't have to live like fish because we have the ability, the cognitive ability, to open up our awareness, to focus our thoughts and attentions, and to try to understand the environment that we're living in. So when our environment is being poisoned or when we see toxicity rising, we have the ability to look at and go, what's happening in our environment that is leading to greater toxicity or leading to greater um, disunity in our families, right? I don't know if you read some of the articles about how political division is dividing families, that families are dividing and aren't speaking to their brothers and sisters or mothers and fathers over political ideology. That would have never happened in different cultures and different societies. And we do we think that now just people are more enlightened politically? Or is something happening in the water? Is something happening in the environment that is contributing to the dissolution of family unity or um, the disunity in families over politics or things of that nature. So that's something we want to turn our attention to. That's kind of like what our podcast is all about. That's what Mind for Life is all about, is really uh, opening your thoughts and your perspectives, looking at the environments that you're living in, thinking of the world differently from different perspectives uh, so that you can live a better life and understand what's going on. So hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Again, I want to uh, turn your attention to our downloadable resource um, which is basically your guide for having a difficult conversation. Uh, also, you can look at our article if that's something that you're interested in, a um, nice person's guide to being assertive. And we also have another resource that's available, and I will link on, on the page for this. It is the 52 Essential Skills um, Worksheet. So basically, it's a survey of the 52 essential skills that you need for success in life and business. It's divided into five. Those skills are 52 skills based on a 52 week, right? 52 weeks in a year gives you an opportunity to work on one skill a week to improve yourself. And so this is an assessment that you can download and take to see what are your top skills. And these are kind of the soft skills, you know, things like communication, interpersonal communication, adaptability, self-confidence, um, emotional intelligence. These are all things that you can kind of assess yourself on, have somebody else assess you on so that you can improve and get, um, get better at the ones that you're not doing well as or 
uh, get better at the ones that you're really doing well at. So that's another assessment that we have. It's a free resource for you. I'll link it on the page for this, and that will be at mindforlife.org forward slash zero six four. So again, thanks so much for listening today to our podcast on the science medium. Want to encourage you also to go back, listen to the focusing illusion and coping with information glut. Next time we come to you, we'll be talking about the problem of quantification. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. Mm-hmm.